desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before her, his shearer so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said... I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. I preached last Sunday morning on the proclamation of the gospel and it was the first in a short series we're bringing to you on that Subject, And I used last week Isaiah chapter 53 verse 1 as my text. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Today, however, I want to speak on the second series using the title Isaiah 53 and Philip. Isaiah 53 and Philip. Reading from Isaiah eight twenty six through 35, which we've been doing. You'll understand the connection between this passage and Isaiah chapter number 53 as we read the scripture. It deals with Philip proclaiming the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. Notice, if you would please, first of all, a summons is extended a summons is given. In verse number 26, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. I call to your attention that this summons is given by the angel of the Lord. Now, many, many times you read that subject and that phrase in your Bible, the angel of the Lord, and the Lord has many angels and they do what he wants them to do. Most likely this could have been the angel Gabriel. It could have been the angel Michael. Both Gabriel and Michael were archangels. But in the beginning of creation, God made a third 
angel and his name was Lucifer. Lucifer declared war on the God of heaven and God kicked him out of heaven. And when Lucifer fell from heaven, he took one third of the angelic population with him that would later become demons, sometimes called devils in the New Testament. We do not know who the angel was, but we know that the angel spoke this message and he delivered it to Philip. Sometimes you run into people who had the same name in the Bible, just like we have in this church. It was given to Philip the deacon, not to Philip the apostle. Think that's important. In verse number 1 of Acts, notice this reading. Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. But underscore this, except the apostles. They did not leave Jerusalem. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial, made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And the next verse, which is 5, says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. That's Philip the deacon. It is furthermore verified in verse number 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. When Philip went into Samaria, he began to preach. And God blessed his preaching. There were many people saved. They came to know the Lord. And many of these converts were following the Lord in believer's baptism, thus constituting probably the first organized church after the church at Jerusalem. So it was given to Philip the deacon, not to Philip the apostle. Third thing about this summons, this message was for Philip to leave Samaria and go to Ethiopia. The text says from Jerusalem down through Gaza. Now, Gaza was one of the five cities of the Philistines. And you had to go through Gaza to get down into the company and to the country of Ethiopia. And so the summons is that Philip is to leave Samaria, where a red-hot revival was going on, and go down into the desert country of Ethiopia, which was isolated from all types of spiritual influence, because the further you get from Jerusalem, the further you get away from the Lord. Samaria is just above Jerusalem, but you go through Samaria, on down through Gaza, and uh, the Holy Spirit is going to give him an assignment at that point. Notice the sinner, number two, verses 27 and 28. Verses 27 and 28. It says this, When he arose, he went and behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, 
queen of the Ethiopians who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot and guess what? (laughs) He is reading Isaiah, the prophet. I don't think he just had the Bible as we know the Bible today in bound volume by books and chapters and verses. He certainly didn't have that. I don't think he'd have gone through and said, well, isn't this just why Isaiah... It wasn't by accident that he wound up in Isaiah in his reading. Six things are revealed to us about this Ethiopian sinner. Number one, he was a discriminated sinner. By being a discriminated sinner, he was an Ethiopian That word Ethiopian means to scorch the face, to burn the faith. It also is called and was called the country of the black people in that day and even to this day. And it is located south of Egypt. When you leave Jerusalem and you go down through Gaza and you keep going south, you go through Egypt and then South of Egypt is the country of Ethiopia, the country of the black people. He was a discriminated sinner. Number two, he was a dedicated sinner. He was a eunuch. Now, it's quite possible that there were some people that were born eunuchs. But most of the people who were eunuchs were made eunuchs. Sometimes they were made eunuchs out of punishment. Sometimes they volunteered to become a eunuch because by being a eunuch they could get employment with people who had harems of women and didn't want competition coming in. So they made themselves a eunuch. But he was quite dedicated to do that. Now if you doubt what your pastor is saying, look up that in the dictionary of what is involved in becoming a eunuch. My answer to a lot of the sexual problems that we have going on today would be solved in a moment if we just practice making eunuchs out of some of these people. Now, you say, are you just hard? No, there are some countries in the world that practice that as a means of punishment. If they go out and commit immorality, it's over with. They won't commit any more immorality. This man was a discriminated sinner, but he was a dedicated sinner. He paid the price. Thirdly, he was an important sinner. He was treasurer of Candace, and Candace was the queen of Ethiopia and of all the treasures of Ethiopia, and this man was responsible for that. He was a very important sinner. He was third. Fourthly, a religious sinner. The Bible makes it clear that he'd just come back from Jerusalem to work, uh, from worshiping there in the city. He had left Ethiopia. He had gone north into Jerusalem. It was 600 miles to make that trip. 600 miles one way. If you decided to come back, it'd be a 1,200-mile trip. I fail to see sometimes 
the authenticity of Christianity that some people can't even walk across the street to go to church. Here's a man that traveled 600 miles to Jerusalem where the temple was to worship God, a God he didn't even know. He was a religious sinner. Sad to say, number five, he was an empty sinner because he came back on the return trip just as empty as he was when he went down. And you've heard me say it so many times, the church is not the answer to your spiritual problems. Now, I thank God for churches, and I thank God for people who come to church, and, but spiritual help comes from the Lord. And this man was a sinner, born a sinner. He had no concept of what it meant to know the, the God of, of, of Scripture. He was an empty sinner, got nothing. I heard R.G. Lee one time, many, many years ago. Some of you, depending on your age, can connect with R.G. Lee at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee for many, many years. Every Sunday morning he got up to preach, and it was every Sunday morning. Not only did he have on a white suit, but he had on white shoes. Every Sunday morning. No black garb with a collar turned around backwards. Just a plain old white suit with white shoes on. But here this man, I heard him say about this very thing that we're talking about. Uh, being empty, getting nothing. He said, I, I believe I would just die if I thought after preaching just one message, if everybody left and said I didn't get a thing out of it. I tell you, it's a good thing. And, and not all preachers are this way. I wish they were more like me, but they're not. If you get a blessing, show it. If you can't say amen, say oh me. I mean, don't, don't, smile or something. You know, show your teeth. Every once in a while, respond to it. Because preachers want you to get something when you come to church and not leave empty. The condition that many times we often are when we come to church and then leave. And the sixth thing is, he was a searching sinner. He was reading Isaiah. Now, he didn't take any magazines with him, but he had a copy of the Old Testament. And it was in Hebrew, and he was reading in Hebrew the book of Isaiah. He was searching for truth. So much for this sinner. Thirdly, let's look at the seeking out. Notice of unusual thing is stated in verse number 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, to begin the journey, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. But when it comes time to the presentation of the gospel, an angel cannot do that. It takes the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go near. Get as close as you can, Philip, to this eunuch. Show that you care. Show that you're interested. Show that you want to help. Show yourself to be friendly. 
Regeneration is essential to conversion. It matters not how well versed we may be in different approaches in preaching the plan of salvation. The important thing is the Holy Spirit has to regenerate the heart of a dead sinner before he'll ever understand and before he'll ever come to know the Lord as his Savior. So the Holy Spirit speaks now to Philip. And he says, go near. And what is the sermon? Verses 30 through 35. Philip ran thither to him. Now, that's, uh, I, I get a lot of, uh, Philip ran thither to him. Uh, he was anxious, you know. Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? The eunuch was reading Isaiah, and did you notice he was reading it aloud? I found out a long time ago the best way in the world to study your Bible is to read it aloud. Brother Roloff said when you read it aloud, your ears can hear it as well as your eyes can see it. I go one step further. I think it's a good thing to stand in front of the mirror and read the Word of God because you're not reading from just any old book. You're reading from the Word of God. Isaiah, he's reading that and he's reading it aloud. This is astounding. Philip knew... (coughs) what the eunuch was reading. How did he know? The eunuch was reading it aloud. Now, had it been you, had it been me, and we heard him reading, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We probably said, oh, I know that, that's 23rd Psalm. Yes, sir, If the eunuch probably said, Jesus wept. Oh, that's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. I love that. He was reading from the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. And Philip knew exactly where he was reading. Because Philip had read it too. Understanding the gospel, I believe, is essential to salvation. Did not the Philippian jailer raise an important question when he said, What must I do to be saved? He wanted some information. He got more than he asked for. He got a changed life to be sure. But understanding the gospel is essential to salvation. That's why I wanted to spend about three Sundays on proclaiming the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel. In verses 30 and 31, Philip ran thither to him, heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I accept? Some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of understanding is in the scripture itself. In the book of Romans, let me read that for you. Romans chapter number 10, verses 13 and following. Romans chapter number 10, verses 13 and following. 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Have they not all obeyed the gospel? I'm reading from Romans now. (laughs) Have they not all obeyed the gospel? For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? That goes back to last Sunday's sermon. Who hath believed the report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? I pastored a church over in the piney woods of east, east, east Texas, where three states come together. Not too far from from where Nora and I lived and the church where I pastored was about three miles from the place where you could go and and you could you could you could walk through three states and it'd take you about two seconds to do so where the three states meet together and uh over there. At that individual, at that particular time, and at that particular location, understanding the gospel was essential to salvation at that time. The place where he was reading was Isaiah chapter number 53. Now, I want you to use your Bible on this. Where was the eunuch reading? In chapter 8, pardon me, yes, chapter 8, of verse 32 and 33. Look at verse 32. The place of the Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before her, his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 33, in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? Keep a marker there. And go over to Isaiah chapter number 53. And verse 32, which I've just read for you, corresponds with Isaiah 53 verse 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. And then verse number 33 in the Acts reference points to Isaiah 53 verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? 
for he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Philip's sermon was about one person, and that person was the Lord Jesus Christ. That is revealed in verse number 35 of Acts chapter number 8. And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now he didn't give him the Roman road of salvation because the book of Romans had not been written. He preached unto him Jesus. This is what Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 12 is all about. When this happened, there was no New Testament. Only the Old Testament. The New had not been put together, had not been compiled. Only the Old Testament. This is what I meant when I said that Isaiah 53 is the greatest detail of the gospel of any other place in the Bible. And it most certainly is. Preached unto him Jesus. Get to that in just a moment. When I was a student at Hardin-Simmons University, and it was called Hardin-Centers, For a reason. I was taught in my Bible class the theory of Deutero-Isaiah. Deutero-Isaiah is a theory that says that Isaiah did not write all the book of Isaiah. That he wrote the first 39 chapters... And then at chapter number 40, there's a marked division in that book. It goes from condemnation to exaltation. And somebody else, another author, took it at chapter number 40 and finished it with chapter number 66. There's some who've pushed that and even called it, there's a third Isaiah They called it Isaiah 1, Isaiah 2, and Isaiah 3. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, there are some arguments for it. For minutes, take just a moment to turn to Isaiah chapter 39, if you would. Isaiah 39. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah basically have to deal with judgment and the judgment of the nations It's a very harsh section of the book of Isaiah. But if you look at Isaiah chapter 40, it's almost like you're reading another book. It begins in Isaiah 40 verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith God. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem. Tell her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. And you go down a little bit further, it even prophesies about John the Baptist. Hundreds of years before he even came along. In verse 5 it says, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. 
All the goodliness thereof is as a flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall last forever. Therefore, these who teach that Deutero Isaiah, Deutero means another time, a different, more than one. The book of Deuteronomy has the giving of the law a second time. That's why I call Deuteronomy God's law the second time. And so it seems to all of a sudden make, make pretty good sense. Except there's one flaw. The eunuch was reading from Isaiah chapter number 53, not chapters 1 through 39. I believe he wrote chapters 1 through 39, and I furthermore believe he wrote the rest of the chapters in the book of Isaiah. Isn't it strange how people just hobnob around over little things that don't amount to a hill of beans? Whatever the eunuch was reading, it was Isaiah. And it had to do with the 53rd chapter and even gave you two verses in that chapter taken from it. Well, I don't know whether that's any good for you or not, but I thought it was quite interesting. Now let me just conclude this thought about Philip preaching on Jesus Philip did not preach on the Roman road of salvation. The Roman road of salvation leads only to one destination, and that's Rome. Stay out of Rome. Letting Jesus be your Savior. Oh, he wants to save you so much. If you just let him, you could could be a Christian today, but you've got to let him. God has done everything he's going to ever do, but now it's up to you. I don't believe Philip preached that kind of Christ. Pray the prayer. Oh, have you prayed the prayer? I've always, whenever somebody tells me, I say, which one are you talking about? Lord, bless me, my wife and I are four and no more. Is that all right? That's a prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. That's a prayer. Oh, the, the prayer of the publican. That was his prayer, not my prayer. We're not saved by praying the prayer. But rather, Philip presented a sovereign Savior who came to die for the sins of his people. That's what you read in the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. Let's notice the fifth thing, the salvation that occurred there in Acts. Once again, let's look at it. Acts chapter number 8, and we'll be done. Verses 36 and following, Acts chapter number 8. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? It's obvious that Philip included the subject of baptism when he preached Christ. Or else, how would this eunuch know anything about baptism and being baptized? Mark, one of the writers in your Bible, in chapter 16, is guilty of the same thing. 
In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Mark said, He said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a public profession of our faith that speaks of our union with the Lord Himself. In His death, we died with Him. In His resurrection, we rose from the dead. We're no longer what we used to be. But nowhere are we saved by the picture. We're always saved by the person that the picture represents. Pictures don't have any saving power, but the person does. And he preached unto him Jesus. Let me give you another quick reference in Romans chapter number 6, verses 1 through 6. Book of Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized unto, it's a little Greek word, ice, E-I-S, not into Jesus Christ, but unto Jesus Christ, were baptized unto his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. We'll be in the likeness of his resurrection. So again, the word baptist comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means immerse. It never has meant to sprinkle. I don't know why in the world, uh, if Philip had looked perhaps next to this Philippia, this eunuch rather, he more than likely would have found a, a canteen of water. What do you think? I mean, you're going to make a 600-mile trip to a church service and come back 600 miles, you better take a canteen of water. If he's to be sprinkled, all in the world he had to do is open that canteen of water and give him a few drops. And it would have been done. But when you study the text itself, it presents and shows a completely different situation. And this is what it says. And Philip says you can be baptized if you believe with all your heart. You can. You may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they, that's plural, they went down both into the water. Now, if he's not going to immerse him, why why go down into the water? But both of them went down into the water. And in case there's a question mark in your mind about that, It furthermore says both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they would come up out of the water, the the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, 
And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus. That's uh, Ashdod. It's a city of Ashdod, Philippian. Uh, rather, the Philistine stronghold. Passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now, what was he doing? He was proclaiming the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel. And we have in these verses the proclamation of the gospel. And Isaiah 53 is written all over it. The Lord willing, we'll get back to Isaiah 53 next week and try to get into it as deeply as the Lord will allow us to do so in understanding what is Isaiah 53. It is the gospel of the Old Testament. Let's stand please for prayer.